Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 293 on Tuesday, the 10th of December, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And during a week where we haven't been insulting anyone to then pretend it's all a bad joke, we'll be asking, what has changed for the Apple in BMW's eye? We also wonder, why is the press suddenly calling microphones cameras? And we talk about an Alfa Romeo in New York. But first... Oh, I know the answer to one of those. ...smidgen of follow-up. And that is that BMW has now decided that it will not, in fact, charge to you access Apple CarPlay in their vehicles on most of their models. Not all, but most of their models. If you remember, the story was that they were going to charge £85 a year for you to be able to use Uh some features you thought you could use anyway. Ah, Welcome to the future, everyone. (laughs) You mean the stuff that's, you know, free in an iGo or something? Yes, in an iGo. Yeah, yeah, for example. Just plucking a random Mm -hmm. car that's comparable with the BMW on every level. uh, Yeah. Randomly, yeah. 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 But, however, so uh, cars that this won't cover, it won't cover the i3, the i8, and run-out examples of the 2 Series and 4 Series. You will still need to pay £235 (laughs) for a lifetime subscription. Horrible Uh, price-gouging something or other yes yes but i think it's to do with the fact because it's uh the 7.0 operating system and those cars had the last of the previous version and that's yes. my, my, my point about horrible price gouging still stands oh absolutely yeah I, any car company that charges to enable you to use your own phone easily and integrated with the vehicle needs needs a strong talking to i think yeah you've got to be careful on that wording polite way that i can put that yeah i don't even think you managed that but never mind um (laughs) new news though alan new news and yes that's right it's that time of the month that some of you love and some of you hate is the smmt registration figure so let's whiz through it in an attempt to placate both parties (laughs) november New car market in the UK fell 1.3%, so still within my 2% rounding error, mm-hmm. to 156,621 models registered. Second month in a row, alternative fuel vehicles uh, reached a market share of 10.2%. I was only a year early in trying to trying to predict that, yes. really, wasn't I? <laughs> ahead of your time, Alan. Always ahead of my time. Year to date. Market performance down 2.7% with 2.2 million cars registered for the UK for the UK roads. Compared to last year, private down 6%, fleet down 2.8%, and business down 3.2%. Fleet is up 2.8%. Oh, I'm sorry. Fleet's up 2.8%, business is down 3.2%. I was getting so carried away looking at the next number. For November, diesel down 27%. It's down to 23% market share uh, now compared to 32 last year. Petrol up 2%. Battery electric vehicles up 228%, making 3% market share, Mm. which I think is really good. Plug-in hybrid up uh, 34.8. Hybrid up 15. That's selfie charging. Mild hybrids up 454%, mild hybrid petrol up 168%, but I'm not really sure that they ever count, to be honest. Mm. Top 10s, I think. Yeah, top 10s are next. 
number 10, the Volkswagen Tiguan, 2,376. Nine, the Polo. Eight, the Mini. Seven, the Qashqai with 3,445. So we're not really that many more. Six is the A-Class. Fifth is the Focus. Fourth is the Golf. And there's only a couple of hundred between each of these. Yep. So fourth is a golf three thousand nine hundred forty one, selling a mere twenty, uh, registering a mere twenty two more. The Ford Fiesta comes in at number three. Duh, that must be an error. I know, to- total shocker. The Ford Cougar comes in at number two with what two hundred and twenty more registered, four thousand one hundred forty three, and number one this month is the Vauxhall Corsa with 4,296. So, not huge numbers there. I don't know why there was quite such a Fiesta registration drop. I don't know if there have been issues with supply or something. But yeah. Yeah, Ford Fiesta, still top of the year to date, followed by the Golf and then the Corsa and then the Focus. Yep. Yes. Fiesta still almost 20,000 ahead, 19,600 yeah. anyway. Right, spreadsheet of uh, doom. You want to do spreadsheet of doom? Yes, I shall do the doom. You can do the non-doom. So starting Yay. racing through this, because there's actually not that many that are highlighted under our criteria this month. So doom-wise, Abarth down. Blessed relief, everyone. Yeah, 55%. Alfa Romeo down at 21%. Bentley down 35%. These are all quite small numbers, though, so those percentages are a bit large. Well, none of those have reached across 200 vehicles. Yeah. Fiat is down at 37%. Maserati is down 29%. Mitsubishi down nearly 40%. That's a bit of a drop for them, actually. Now we start to get a bit chunkier. Renault down 27%. So that's 4,779 last year to 3,503 this year. Smart continuing their nosedive. They're down near 92%. Right. Just quickly... Smart new model coming in. Yes, I've okay, seen lots complete of facelift, on electric only. All the social medias they have been hammering. Yeah, it's out. a little more sort of Hannibal Lecter-ish. Yes, but yeah. no new new fronts and rears anyway for the smart. So that's what probably the reason is supply as much as low volumes anyway. Yeah, uh, Sanyong down thirty nine percent. Suzuki a bit of a drop for them as well at thirty six percent. Alan, take us take us in a more cheery direction. Right. Other imports, which includes all testers of all flavours, but quite possibly a fair number of Model 3s, are uh, up 688%, 2,405. So that, that's not a number of Model 3s. That's everything added together. Mm-hmm. 305 last year, to give you an idea of just how many there might be in there. What's next? Porsche won, won the rise of the... Rise of the uh, Almost rise of the year, actually, <laughs> with 619.32%. So 264 last year, 1,899 this year. I don't know if the boat came in or uh, something. WLTP, don't forget. Yeah, I know. Really I know. Hammered Sorry, by that, certain amount of sarcasm. Yeah, for a good few months, there was nothing mm-hmm. uh, last year. Um, MG up 28.77%. Lexus up 57%. DS up 412%. Audi up 37. Alpine, especially after last month. Uh, Alpine, of course, up 44% uh, with 13 instead of nine cars. (laughs) 
sad goodbye to Infinity. Infinity, there was zero registered. I was speaking to folk today. There are no more new Infinity. All registered. All gone. I don't know if Infinity will be dropping off uh, the radar relatively soon, or if it will hang around like a Chevrolet um, <laughs> and only peak when someone does a personal import of one from the US or something. Yes, possibly. So uh, there we go. Possibly. Right. Right. Numbers done. Okay. Well, related to the last element that you just spoke about, uh, Automotive News, and more importantly, Nick Gibbs spoke to Nissan's Europe boss uh, to discuss how they've really suffered in the first nine months of the year, uh, actually, uh, particularly in Europe. Juan Luca Di Ficci, I think, is his name. And if that is not how you pronounce it, I do apologise deeply. But unfortunately, I chose this article myself instead of to give it to Alan, who can say words. And they were, they talked about, and I, I do encourage you to click through on the uh, on the show notes for the link. Not that this is the lunchtime read, but it's actually quite an interesting article from the questions Nick asks. Really, I think he's not shied away. And it's been played with a fairly straight bat, as you would expect by someone so senior in such a large company. But they, they basically, Nick's asking about why have sales fallen so much and what are you doing about it? And there's a lot of discussion of we are looking at making ourselves leaner and fitter for future direction that we'll be going in we'll be phasing out old models bringing in completely new models over the entire range etc 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 so within the next year and a half they will have a complete new range of vehicles i think the leaf last earlier this year was it earlier this year or last year the leaf came in i think it was this year got a slight tweak uh i think the leaf but the real start of brand new stuff is the duke which is in the midst of uk press launch Spoiler alert, I was there today. So, yes, we'll be talking about that relatively soon. Yep. It's going to be interesting to see, because they, they talk, he talks about, obviously, Sunderland comes up and hard Brexit and doesn't shy away. He says if there are WTO tariffs involved, then Sunderland does not work for them economically. He's very upfront about mm-hmm. it. He's being really frank. So... You know, there's there's lots of warnings for everybody involved, and he's and he's saying this to both. Set, he's saying this to Europe as well as to British politicians as well when he mentions this. Uh, they talk about yeah. Barcelona as well because they've just trimmed six to seven hundred people because volumes have reduced across the board for Nissan. But uh, they don't. You know, from the stuff they do build there, it seems it's still an important plant. They've got the Navara, the Renault Alaskan that we don't get over here, do we? We don't get, no, no. Uh, there's the Mercedes S, uh, X-Class, not S-Class, X-Class. That's, that's, sorry, I've just given Nissan a whole new, <laughs> a <bit of> different. <laughs> new production line there, all of a sudden. But also the ENV200, their electric van, uh, which I have noticed a few more round my way, I have to say. Corby Council here uses quite a few, actually. They're quite popular, quite popular around here. Mm. So yeah, so this is this is an interesting article. I I thought, uh, mm. considering this is a company that's been struggling, and they're trying to talk about what they can do about it, you know, and, and they're talking about the stuff moving forward as well, because we need to remember that whilst there's that whole ninety five grams per kilometer starting next year to twenty twenty two across the fleet that a company has to produce, 
from 2024 or the end of 2024, it's 75 grams per kilometer. So he's questioning combustion engines and mm-hmm. what's their future. Got to remember lots of the trouble with challenges that we've been talking about managerially and all these kind of things. That is Nissan Global. That has an influence, but is not direct management for Nissan Europe, which is what I'm talking about here. Yeah, Interesting stuff, as ever. In Nissan are a very interesting company I've, I've discovered in the past, and I've been doing some work with them. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, it, it's not oh, it's as simple as it looks either. There's, there's, there's layers of complication due to partnerships and everything. So it's quite, from that point of view, I can find it quite fascinating. Planning of any of this stuff has to take place, you know what, well in advance. Yeah. Well, in advance. Right, tell us some good news, though, Alan, about production. Well, good news. Well, yes. So, former head of Nissan in in Europe or just in the UK, I can't remember. Andy Palmer uh, is now boss at Aston Martin. Aston Martin opened a new factory of officially, last Friday, its new DBX production plant in St. Athen in Wales. So uh, there's three converted super hangers. Uh, sounds like something you'd find in an outsized wardrobe, really, uh, that were part of uh, MOD St. Athen are going to be the, the production site. Well, they are now the production site for the, the first luxury SUV from Aston Martin. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. It's, it's good news. Nice stuff. About 600 people being employed at the factory at the minute, um, hopefully rising to 750 when pre-production is is there. So it's taken a couple of years. They bought the site in 2016, so it's taken about three years to to get people up to speed and get the the, the buildings get the buildings up to speed as well uh, and all ready for the new product. Yeah, because when I was on that driving day with Aston Martin, they did talk a lot about about integrating people into the the family and culture of Aston Martin and how that was a key part of the. It's all going to sound very corporate and buzzwordy, but onboarding onboarding people into yeah. the company. It's it's get them to understand where the people who are there, why they're there, and then that will help. Because as we keep saying so many times, the culture of a company is vital to the success of a company. So it's really, really easy to cha- to try and change processes, to try and uh, move people around, but it's really, really hard to change the culture and to try and get people, you know, hearts and mindsy type stuff and, and to get that kind of figured out in people's minds. And so there is a danger, and obviously they've identified that, that you can end up with a them and us type type setup. Oh, we're out here in, in Wales. They're there sitting in their fancy ivory towers uh, in Gaiden, and uh, they forget about us. They don't understand what we're doing. What on earth do they do there? All these kind of things uh, go on. Uh, and I, I see it quite often in big companies. Uh, and, and it sounds like they're trying to stop that. To counter just that, they've got all the elements from all the departments across the company at St. Athen as well. So there's there's no, oh, the the engineers just sit away or oh just mm. accounts sit away and then send us an email and tell us to do things no there are yeah. people from all the departments involved in the business are there at uh, St. Athens as well and that's one of the hopefully one of the special editions we can produce next year is going to visit St. Mm-hmm. Athen and discussing what they're doing and how they're trying to do it yeah that'd be awesome yeah. cool 
bit of a change attack now. Acoustic cameras, Andrew. Yes, or microphones. Now, well, no, they're not. They are a microphone. They are a microphone and a camera. So I saw a demonstration of one of these today. A different use, not for, you know, noisy motorbikes or any of these things as part of this trial. But they are it's quite cool. It's a, it's a camera and an array of microphones. And because there are enough microphones, they can then work out where the location is within the picture and hotspot it. So they'll be able to say all the noise is coming from this point as it travels and then actually be able to identify which, in this case, which vehicle it is. And in the case that I was showing today, it was which part under the engine bay is making a particular squeak or something. Well, that's what they're trying to trial with the ones that are near the Lumi's calf uh, down down south, I think, somewhere. The uh, A32 yeah. near Farnham. <laughs> and yes, there is, there is a camera involved. It's a trial. Yeah. There's no enforcement, no, no, but they are looking at it and they've been threatened. They are it. trying to test to see does this actually work how we're being told it should work and does it make a difference? So there's uh, if you want to see some more information about it, you can tr- uh, try the article from Visor Down, which is obviously a, a common website that Alan and it I It sounds like, I, I was about to ask you, but you've been, been, been perusing it. Uh, watch out if you are at work and you open this one because there is auto-playing video with audio. Yeah. Even the flipping website's noisy. <laughs> But this is this is quite interesting, and it is it is a trial. But it is it is quite interesting that they're considering this. Says man with noisy cars. There's a there's a notice that accompanies this camera, and one of the bits that really interests me is saying data collected from the noise camera is subject to controls on access and processing in accordance with GDPR drink principles. No information about <laughs> drivers or vehicles Ding. owned will be obtained. Hang on, you've got a camera. Unless you're blurring license plates. No, lights. hang on a minute. No, 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 no. But it's it's working out if it if it is successfully tracking the vehicle that that's making the noise. But if they keep that image, the license plate is keeping it information on the owner and vehicle, isn't it? That's no. Sorry, that's not personally identifiable vehicle. Personally identifiable data. Okay, yes it is. It's not. No, it isn't. Then you're going on the crazy. You you're going on the no, crazy is, thing. Of it is. It's personally identifiable, but I, uh, not that I want to get into discussion. But of course, it is it because it doesn't got the come under the definition of PID. Got, yeah, but it's it's not yeah, the person you, that, that you, identifies. You personally cannot put a camera pointing out in your street and keep uh, and video people driving past your street a bit too fast because that trans that transgresses GDPR. And I know this because I'm watching many arguments going on on the internet about people mm. doing this and going. Oh, but it's my own personal camera, so it's all right. No, it doesn't matter. You're getting public information. No, that, that, that by the way, is it's, it's not correct because that shows a complete and utter lack of it. But, it, yeah, how wide the personal identification is that, that is, is, is a subject of much debate. And if you want a really good GDPR modeling tool, then do get, it, like, do get in touch with me and I can, <laughs> I can put you in touch with people who can actually debate this with an awful lot of authority. Uh, but more than that can help you uh, manage, and, manage and support any audit you might have. That's our real sponsor talking there. <laughs> right. <coughs> it's my review tomorrow. <laughs> take, yeah. take us take us to the A14 and tell us how much more wonderful it is now, Alan. 
I haven't been on this yet because I don't fancy going out and taking a token drive on a brand new road, but it promises to be significantly better than it is at the moment. 12 mile stretch of the the new shiny A14 that we've been having to drive alongside for a little while <laughs> is now open. Uh, it's part of a 21 mile upgrade that, uh, between Cambridge and Huntington where it, met, where it reaches the A1. There's a whole bunch of new junctions, all sorts of stuff like that. It's going to be all smooth and lovely, and there's going to be loads of lanes as opposed to trucks and very slow people not overtaking. Well, trucks and trucks overtaking trucks. And it's a horrible piece. It has been a horrible piece of road for years and years and years. However, if you've been driving along it lately when it's all been coned and traffic flows go weird ways and there's been half roundabouts that you've gone round the what would be the wrong way where it's a complete roundabout do just pay attention but also be aware that your sat nav might not be up to date follow the signs use your brain don't just follow the voice yep somebody hasn't already and there's there's already been um, except for our voices always follow our voices <laughs> always follow our voices turn left <laughs> Yeah, so I hope it's going to make a difference because that that has sounded like a right pig of a road for a long time. So it has been for the last 15 years I've been down here. To get from here to Cambridge, about 40 miles, could take you 45 minutes, could take you two and a half hours for me on one occasion. Thoroughly miserable piece of road. So this is much, much needed. Lots of trucks going out to um, Felixstowe. Okay. Uh, out there that comes right along the A14 all the way along to join the M6 and M1 and head north and south and whatever. So, uh, so yeah. Cool. Right. I am going to talk now about uh, yet another electric com- light commercial vehicle company. And this is Volta. We've, I think we've talked about them before. I don't know. They're all starting to blur into one. The design looks like we've talked about it before which looks a little bit... It was a slightly different one that we talked about before. I know exactly what you mean, but it was one in conjunction with the Royal Mail, which was ah, yes, sunk yes, without yes, trace. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. And I can't remember what it was called, and therefore I can't find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Volta is a uh, Swedish and they're a Swedish startup transport company, and they're going to open a base in the UK to build prototypes, and they're going to team up with ProDrive for uh, development. They are going to be using uh, part of the Banbury brace I believe to help with the manufacturing of the prototype the, what they're trying to create is an 18 ton capacity commercial vehicle that will have a top speed of 50 mile an hour and a range of 100 miles so you, what you're looking at is quite a large van for a city really urban area the prototype here looks I mean the the cab is like a very up-to-date version of the a sort of Dennis Eagle or something, but it's that, about the size. Lorry, I was going to say it, it reminds me. I was about to say it's about the size of a bin lorry. Yeah. That's exactly where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. So it is a bin it, lorry. It's, uh, it, it's not massive, but it's not it's not a transit size either. Again, we talk about we, every time some commercial uh, EV comes up, cities are screaming out for this. They're screaming out for some sort mm-hmm. of solution to help out and. We are ordering more and more stuff to be delivered, whether it's actually to mm-hmm. shops or to people's own houses or places of work. So the quicker we can get the commercial fleet transferred across where it's appropriate, the better for everyone. 
Yeah. I noticed, by the way, that there's, um, in this motoring research article, it comments that Mercedes have deployed electric version of the Actros around the UK. Similarly, Volvo, I know, have electric versions of the FL that are being used in, tested in Sweden, including electric bin lorry. Hmm. Fully electric bin lorry, so it can be much quieter and more efficient because that's that's the kind of vehicle which isn't going to go away very quickly because you need that size of truck to collect bins and rubbish and and stuff yeah so that's a and that's a really good test bed because it's a particularly energy intensive activity yeah yeah Uh, and also looking forward to um seeing the the electric vehicle company's version of the the taxi as a van I, I think mm-hmm. that's uh, mm-hmm. when when they can bring that out. I think that's another cracking idea for mainly urban based companies and deliveries. Yeah, and there's other stuff like I mean, Renault have a, a range you can order an electric Renault Master um, and and stuff as well. So so yeah, and you know what we were saying before the ENV two hundred, the Nissan electric van. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, that all of a sudden we're going to see a sudden. It's going to be a bit like a switch. No pun intended. It's going to be about a bit like a switch. All of a sudden, we're going to go from from almost nothing in that EV commercial zone to oh, there's a whole load of choice. Do you think actually, just just digressing slightly on this, do you think by the commercial side of things being being electrified? hopefully quite quickly all of a sudden, like you say, with that switch, do you think that will Hmm. improve uptake of electric cars? Because people will, who would not normally go near one are suddenly in it and go, actually, I can see the benefits of this or, or not, if it's not Um, their their personal car. Oh, I don't know. I I think it's uh, a dem. Okay. Consultant words, uh, demonstration of capability yeah, yeah, will yeah. come along and they'll go, hang on a minute. If you can run these trucks like this, why the heck can't I drive around like that? But you'll always get the naysayers who need to drive, you know, 600 miles without stopping to empty their bladder <laughs> three times a week and all that rubbish. Um, but I think that there will be a that is where we've demonstration, said, haven't we, many times? It's a blended approach. Again, talking consultants, but it's a blended approach and we have to accept that and there isn't one solution. Works better for trucks like bin lorries. I know I keep using that as an example. I'm sorry. But urban delivery stuff running from a depot works particularly well for this because they're not running 24-7. They're not running long distances. You will know how many miles most of these kind of vehicles do in a day and it will be almost the same every day so give them that plus 30 percent, and know that you can plug them in overnight when nobody else is going to be using them and, and you're onto a winner yeah yeah that's what it's going to take and the reason it'll be a big influx is that it will be a new depot warehouse whatever will open and the fleet that serves from that will all be renewed at almost the same time or they'll renew half the fleet and whatever else and and put in the infrastructure for that and that's why it'll go from not seeing any to seeing quite a few relatively quickly right do you want to talk us through emissions anyway and how uh, suvs are killing everyone whether it's running them over or poisoning them (sighs) i I have a love hate i have a love hate relationship and i wouldn't i'd say that those are probably a little bit too strong especially the love part with with this kind of survey so this is a survey by the UK Energy Research Council, 
uh, which has looked at CO2 emissions and said that rapid growth in SUV sales in the last decade has led to a rise in total CO2 emissions from the global car fleet. Now, that's all wonderful. There was, until recently, a fuel which was increasing in popularity, which had significantly lower CO2 than petrol. Mm. And that was called diesel. There's two aspects here. One, over the last five years, significant drop in the, the take-up of diesel. Yep. Therefore, moved to petrol, which had much higher CO2. Whilst at the same time, more people wish to have vehicles which they can get in and out of as the baby boomers get older and the hips get more artificial and you need a hit point to get in and out, all that kind of stuff. So whilst I think that there is probably a fundamental correctness here and, you know, fewer people driving SUVs would, of course, be better. We should all be driving things that are more that are more aerodynamic, more efficient. There is a problem where what is counted as an SUV is very different. I mean, you drive some SUVs, which are a hatchback that sits quite high. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it is a hatchback. It has hatchback aerodynamics. It has everything that is, is hatchback size. It just has its wheels mounted lower in the body. Yeah. Fundamentally. And that happens across the whole range. I've been driving the Alfa Stelvio recently. It's an estate car with big wheels. Can they use that on the brochure? <laughs> yeah. Knock yourselves out, guys. He's an estate car with bigger wheels. And what's wrong with that? That was a perfectly reasonable Italian accent. More telling a podcast. Uh, the, the, not everything is a Range Rover or any of these things. Now, the other thing is actually normal cars are often bigger on the road. So, Mondeo Estate actually takes up more road space than a Discovery shot car. Certainly a Disco 4, 3 or 4. It's, so it's very strange. I, I I know that we we collectively, as car nerdy people, would rather people drive, drive SUVs because, because, you know, they don't drive as well and you people can do all the same things with other cars, which are actually more efficient. Yeah. Absolutely more efficient. And for reasons of taste and aesthetics and all these kind of things, many of us wouldn't, you know, choose not choose not to generally. But other people just think they need the practicality. I, not everything is a defender. I, I just feel I feel that the term SUV is grossly overused and really needs to be broken down into some form of classification by size or, or whatever. Yeah, because we we talk about super super minis, we talk about city cars, we talk about family hatches, uh, and then you go you move up to saloons and things like that, and and we need that that level of granularity in SUVs because just just taking straight from the UK Energy Research Centre's own article that people are quoting from. Uh, we've got a, a, a link here to Autocar discussing it, but we'll also have a link in the show notes straight to this, uh, straight to the original article. And what they say here, which I have a few issues with, and this is lined up directly with what you're saying, Alan. SUVs are larger and heavier than a standard car, emitting about a quarter more CO2 than a medium-sized car, and nearly four times more than a medium-sized battery electric vehicle. 
Assuming the majority of these SUVs will be on UK roads for at least a decade, it is estimated the extra cumulative emissions to total around 8.2 million tonnes of CO2. Right now, I've got issues with some of that because a medium-sized battery electric vehicle is not a lightweight vehicle <laughs> by its very nature. No, but but tell me this. If you're going to go medium-sized, which I assume is C-segment, SUV, that's a bad vehicle. C-SUV, according to this, bad vehicle. You then get a Kona EV, so that's an electric C-SUV. Is, is that bad because it's an SUV? Is it good because it's electric? Is it what? what well, what that gets discussed. It uses, and before you... That actually gets discussed. The very, the very fact that a lot of SUV, a lot of electric vehicles are now SUVs. And people suddenly go, oh, hang on, that sort of is a bit tricky for us. <laughs> well, exactly. And the energy usage, before somebody goes, well, of course, it's going to use more electricity. It Actually, in that case, it doesn't. So so if I compare that to an e-golf, I had a lot of trouble getting an e-golf to the same level of, of to near the same level of efficiency as I got in the Kona EV without trying. Yeah. So it's more efficient, too, than a car that's a car same size on the road it just depends where the bumper line is drawn yeah, and, and which bits are colored in with cladding and which bits aren't and how it's much heavier stupid. is an suv from a medium-sized car it is questionable if it is a similar size suv it's not that much heavier the definitions are all a bit i know it's it's too beep. broad and plus they're picking from 2010 now, 2010... But that's almost a decade yeah, ago. SUVs in 2010 <laughs> are nowhere near as efficient ridiculous. as they are now. And, and, and this is where we have that's that problem rubbish. with like, the ULEZ, where a car from 2010, diesel from 2010, is not allowed in ULEZ because it's got the wrong type of engine, or 2009, whatever it is. And you think, yeah, and you look at the engine now, which then makes a slight mockery of... Bristol's attempt to ban all diesels. You go well. Yes, I can understand filthy ones, but you know. And it, it, what it again is highlighting for me is this is a very complicated issue that needs where everyone needs to stop, take a breath, and go right. Come on, let's agree some things. Like you said, let's agree to dissect what an SUV is or the various types of SUVs out there because they're not all G wagons, then and they're not all six point three liters. Yeah, exactly. And then oh, and and gosh, equally, whatever they are, they're not all Echo Sports. No. So you know, <laughs> thank God. There, yes. Well, there is that. There is a whole range in between because cars are different sized. Sorry to break it to everybody, but you know, there's different sized ones for different. <laughs> just, needs. just stop it, Andrew. Just. Stop being reasonable. It's an SUV. So we I've got to go glue myself to the middle of the road because of SUVs. So before what's electric? Loctite makes a fortune. <laughs> we, we do need to I I feel we really do need to stop, take a breath, classify, reclassify how things are done. Uh, or, or, or actually in realistic. Let's talk about the realities of modern engines as well. I understand a lot of cars stay on the road for a long time and older cars are not as clean, etc., as newer cars. Yes, that doesn't really need to be said. However, to lump something 10 years, you know, in a band of 10 years, particularly this last 10 years, I think is 
really unfair and silly. Right. I'm going to give away a bit more spoiler alerts on the Duke launch. So they pointed out today that the Duke's the ex- Mark One Duke, nine years old. Yeah. There were two BSUVs. There was that and one other, and they reckon that it came first. Now there's 20-odd in the segment, yeah. according to Nissan. They didn't name what they were, other than the Duke. You're looking at numbers from 10 years ago, where the obviously the skew was for bigger, heavier vehicles that were counted as SUVs. Um, and then they're saying here, like, oh, last year, 21.2% of total vehicles sold. We we looked at a number, another number the other week, and it was like 41% of that 21% are BSUVs. Yeah. Just dumb. Anyway, should we move on? Because we're really waffling, and we're at 40 minutes already. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's not labor the point too much. Almost. I think I think everybody's got it. Yeah. I think we're well over labored. I mean, that. I'm I, sorry, just, folks. Just to summarize, I think it's- Just it's, maddening. It, I think it is interesting to look at this sort of information, but we need to do it with proper classifications and proper understanding of what the data is that we're talking about. Yeah. Shall we move on yes. from that? Now? Let's have our let's have our guilt stop. <laughs> yeah, yes, guilt stop. And it's going to be shorter than last week, because last week I had an awful lot of explanation to do, but it's just to take a quick moment to remind you about our survey. Okay, really important to us. At the end of the year, we try and do the survey. It's your chance to tell us what you think in a completely anonymous fashion. If you're not one of the people who already tells us what you think anyway, which is great. Either route works. It's fab. Uh, Some people who have filled it in have said, oh, it's quite long, isn't it? It is. Okay, you can stop anytime. You don't have to answer. You do have to answer some of the questions, if otherwise you haven't filled out the survey. But... If there are questions you don't want to answer, don't answer them, skip them and move on. There is absolutely no obligation on there. We really appreciate you giving up your pretty solid five minutes uh, of clicking on multiple guest answers to help us out with this. Yeah, it'll help us make big differences uh, over the future. Yes, absolutely. The other thing, and patrons will be told about this, is we have sweet merch. Mm -hmm. Yes, not just the stickers that everyone's forgotten about. Thank goodness, because we were fulfilling that and it was took a little while and it wasn't always the most efficient thing ever so there is a teespring shop if you go to uh, motoringpodcast.com and then click on shop and then click on the picture of the lovely mug and it's not well it is my mug but it's not my mug um on my on my work you're top, not a mug Alan. then don't let oh, anybody thanks. say that it's the you. nicest thing you've ever said to me so if you play on picture of mug we have mugs and t-shirts on there if you're a patron at glx isn't it or gt so four or eight dollar patron, then there are discount codes available for you. I posted them on Patreon earlier this week. Should have got an email, I hope, uh, about that. Also, if you're going to make a big purchase, then consider becoming a patron. Yep. We'll save you significant amounts. I mean, 20 or 15%. So, you know, it's not just a quid or two. That's it. Let's be done. Please do the survey. Please buy stuff. Yes, please. Please do. Don't forget to like and subscribe, ping, etc. Click on the bell, all the usual influencer stuff. Yes. Right. Designers move board. And news. There are changes afoot at Volkswagen Design. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Let's, don't, don't say anything. Don't say <laughs> well, anything. Don't. This is the first time in about 20 years. Mm. 
and it is the news that Klaus Bischkoff is, who is the executive director of Volkswagen Design, will be taking over from Michael Maurer as head of design of the VW Group from April 2020. This means that the much shuffled around poor chap, Joseph Caban, is going to rejoin and take over the role that Bischoff will be leaving uh, in Volkswagen from July 2020. Bischoff is going to lead VW's uh, 12 brands, uh, VW Group's 12 brands, so that's Audi, Bentley, Bugatti, Lamborghini, Porsche, Seat, Skoda, and Volkswagen, as well as Ducati, Ital Design, Scania, Man, commercial vehicles, blah, 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 blah. So a lot of shuffling going on, and this is... Well, Frankly, I'm made up for Cabin because he's got properly shafted by BMW deciding they've made well, That's it. what it looks like. We don't necessarily know what happened internally. No. Uh, they it looks like they felt they made the wrong decision, so they shuffled him around rather than say, Look, we're both adults, let's call it quits, off you go. And then so so I, I hope he can get back to designing again. I'm looking at the pictures here. Nobody's suits or outfits seem to have particularly sharp creases, so there may well be changes foot. Yes. <laughs> Lunchtime read this week comes from Jalopnik, and it's Max Finkel, and he's been driving a right-hand drive red Alpha Spider in Manhattan, which... Yes, it's uh, Jim McGill has been... On another Jim expedition. <laughs> he's, he's on another expedition. After his intention of going somewhere warm this winter, he's in New York, yes, which is well known for being absolutely tropical. bitter in December. Jim, you're awesome. Max, you're all right, I suppose. Uh, no, you're pretty cool too. So go read the article, Sanjay Lopnik, link in the show notes. You'll be able to find it on, on Jalopnik anyway. Yep. But we like the clicks. The clicks are good. Excellent piece. And uh, or usually 99.9% of the time, Max is writing a cracking article anyway. And it's it's about yeah, someone does, we know and love. Like so Max's that makes stuff. it even better. Mm-hmm. Right. List of the week comes from Alex Goy, actually, has compiled a list of the worst Christmas car gifts you can receive 2019 edition. And there are some... Uh, I was going to say crackers, but not really. They're awful. They are truly, truly awful. Starting strongly with Ferrari's, and I'm quoting the title of the little segment, Ferrari's Horrid Watch, <laughs> which is... That's nothing. That's nothing. I'm sorry. It's it's pretty horrid, but it's not 300-pound Lamborghini bum bag. You could have a 69-euro Vignali silk tie yes or 40 pounds cufflinks no 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 (laughs) or 27 pounds 50 plus delivery for the mercedes-benz barbecue branding iron yes that's quite special that is you can have the three-pointed star on your burgers but yeah i'm not quite sure how you manage it on your bratwurst so to speak you could you could spend seventy eight pound on a fairly uh, yes oh god fairly dreadful seeming computer mouse from Porsche or forty one pounds on a one to sixteen scale model in silver of an MG 
they don't make anymore. Yes. <laughs> and I don't mean an MGBGT. I mean an MG6. Yes. Sorry, a rubbishy MG that they don't make anymore. Yes. <laughs> so there are a few others on that list. So click through and have a yeah, look. Yeah, there are others. And just enjoy Alex's writing because it is pretty funny. <laughs> it's it's a delight as usual. Uh, which brings us to the and finally. And finally this week, following on from electric SUVs, former former Hyundai WRC driver Hayden Padden is building a car. Well, he's back in New Zealand. And with the help of Hyundai New Zealand, he is building an all-electric rally car based on a Hyundai Kona EV. It's rather cool. They're doing all the stuff you'd expect to happen to a rally car. So they've stripped it right down. They're seam welding and adding extra spot welding and just doing everything to make the Kona a bona fide rally car shell. Um, and he's saying that there's a fair old trade-off in there. And it is quite a big vehicle and it's quite heavy. But it's got loads of space for the batteries. The battery range as standard is pretty good. So... Um, yeah, it makes a decent starting point. It's part of the trade-off. So we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully, we'll, I'm sure it'll be a demo. Um, no, he's, look, he's looking he's to saying, race it against cars now because he's yeah. he's very concerned that particularly WRC is moving slow, quite slow, that they're only going into hybrids in a couple of years, isn't it? Uh, hmm. 2022, I mm-hmm. think. If I've Something like that. I think it was in the article, and I've now forgotten. Uh, something like that. that, that, that they'll, no, it doesn't they'll say. They'll move into hybrid technology in the next 2021, 2022, something like that, but it's not next season. So he's worried that it's going to get left behind when already electric vehicles, from a performance point of view as in off the line and moving around, are, are really quite good now. So mm-hmm. uh, it, he's he's just on board with this whole thing. And he, he comes across as such a lovely guy, by the way. I mean, in, whenever yeah, he's he interviewed does. and stuff, it just didn't work out for him at Hyundai WRC for mm-hmm. several reasons. But, no. but yeah, I, it, it'll be interesting to watch this in action and up against competition. Yeah, yeah, it's doing it as a proper showcase, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Parish notes this week there should fingers crossed stars aligning be a special edition yes I'm working on it I'm working very yeah. hard on it <laughs> cool which should be good I have no idea which one yet either I'm sure you'll tell me in a minute um, so that's coming out uh, and that pretty much rounds it up for this week anything I've forgotten not that I can I think I think we've talked far too much this week sorry about that if it's a bit long guys but don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts of the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon offer or to any of the other things I've reminded you about in Guilt Minute, all of which is available at motoringpodcast.com. And of course, we urge you to leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, if, if your tongue is untied, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Screen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you and perhaps discuss even more about the classification that should be required now for all SUVs, what's the best way for them to do that with you personally? Best way for that to do that with me, if you want to experience my 
thumbs and fingers not moving as quickly as my brain as opposed to my tongue is via twitter where i am at of course at ajp bradley b-r-a-d-l-e-y provided you're better than me and don't make as many typos uh we'll be back pretty soon but until then i've been alan bradley i've been andrew clues and safe motoring